We have been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from Genesis chapter 1, and here we are tonight, a few years later, in 1 Kings 14, uh, starting what is called uh, the divided kingdom era, uh, instead of just the monarchy. We've got a divided Israel, 10 tribes to the north, called Israel, two tribes to the south, called Judah, and we're talking about the king of the north uh, tonight. All right, with that, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We know that the word of God does not have its origin in any man, but holy men of old, uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. God breathed word sent to heal us, to save us, and to set our hearts free. So tonight, Lord, in this sobering passage, uh, we pray that uh, your spirit would speak to our hearts and show us the truth, Lord, that keeps us on the straight and narrow path and in the uh, place of blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My first youth pastor, and actually the man who discipled me, Pastor Steve, he talked a lot about uh, not being what he called a crisis Christian. So he talked a lot about crisis Christianity, uh, meaning that perhaps an immature or nominal believer or even a churchgoer who doesn't really know the Lord seems to seek and walk with God only when they're in trouble or only when they need something. And you know, Psalm 46, verse 1, which we read tonight, uh, it's true. God is a very real and present help in our time of trouble. But relationship with him, wow, goes a, a, a lot deeper than just, just having him bail us out of whatever pickle we've gotten ourselves into. Amen? Well, he's not just some sort of lucky rabbit's foot or genie in a bottle, right? Like King Jeroboam of the north, the 10 tribes of Israel obviously think so. Last chapter, chapter 13, to bring some context uh, for you, if you missed last uh, week, this King Jeroboam has been acting very wickedly. Um, he is presumed to act as Israel's high priest, even though that's a capital offense. Uh, he's offering sacrifices and uh, to twin gold-plated calves, no less. So he's breaking every possible law that he can think of. Um, now, when the Lord sent a man of God, as you recall, to speak against him, the king reached out to seize him, and God withered his hand in judgment, rendering it quite useless, especially for seizing somebody. So uh, suddenly he sees the light and he says to the man of God, you recall this, he says, oh, man of God, intercede, beg uh, on my behalf for my hand, you see. I'm not repenting, you know. I, I want you to fix my, the problem, you know. So the, get the genie out and fix, I've got a problem and I want you to fix that, and so he didn't, uh, notice, he didn't go to his phony priests, right, for help. 
and nor did he uh, go to the counterfeit golden calves, but he went uh, straight to the man of God, and uh, his hand was restored, and the king just continues in his wicked way. So you'll find that a lot in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, just stubborn people who just don't learn, no matter what. Revelation 16, in the midst of the world ending, the world does not recover from the great tribulation. Armageddon is the last final hurrah, and down she goes, planet Earth dead and buried until God has to renew her for the millennial kingdom. But back to Revelation 16. And still, men, in their agony, still refuse to repent, shaking their fists at God. It's just, I mean, it's hard to believe, but we read of it here. Now, um, crisis Christianity uh, is going to be alive and well again. This guy just keeps on uh, trying to reach out to God in kind of uh, twisted ways. So the chapter closed out with a description of his continued defiance and a terrible prediction of judgment. Uh, Let's pick up there a little bit if you can flip back to 1333 and 34. I'll just read for context. Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Anyone who wanted to, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Uh, By the way, that was ESV. Because I know you're looking at NIV going, hmm. Yeah, Uh, I like that. Uh, there is the idea that he would cut off Jeroboam's dynasty because of Jeroboam's sin. Now, I like this. I underlined it. Anyone who wanted to could be in the ministry, all right? Well, back in the day, you could not be a, a, a priest unless you were ordained by God through a certain lineage of Aaron. And so uh, Pastor Jim came into my office the other day, and he had a printout from the Internet. And he said, yes, you too can become a reverend, a doctor, a bishop, a pastor for $14.95. He found something on the internet, just crazy. You just send in your money and you you check off a few boxes and you're an instant reverend. Wow. That's exactly what was happening here. That's exactly what happened. And, and uh, the Lord did not, the, the Lord was not pleased about that, shall we say. And so, just like clockwork, here comes the fulfillment of that sad prophecy uh, to stop the line of Jeroboam, verses one through four. Now, at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you 10 loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. All right, pause there. Roman numeral number one, the king's scheme. The king's scheme. Now, as I just said, some people just never learn. And this guy, man, he's the poster child for just a stiff-necked, uh, 
unbelieving Jew. Now, the, the crown prince here, we didn't know there was one yet, but there's a boy, and he's either from the Hebrew, he's somewhere between 6 to 14. And uh, coming up, he's going to get a shout out from the Lord. So uh, he actually has found favor with the Lord. Unfortunately, he's going to die. Spoiler alert here a little late. Uh, but here's the crown prince, the heir, and he becomes deathly ill. Now, Abijah is close enough to the name Ahijah for commentators to say in the Hebrew, it's all the differences, just a little phlegm in your throat. I mean, it's just a little Ahijah, you know, just, just yeah, whatever. You don't, you're not interested in the phlegm? All right. But it's just a, a really soft little subtle change. And so what commentators say is, is that the king named his son after the prophet Ahijah, who told him back what it was in chapter 11, that he would be king one day. He, he also told him if you walked in the ways of the Lord, as David did, that he would have his dynasty established like David, right? And so here's, this is what perpetual backsliders and immature uh, spiritual people do all the time. A little bit of the outward form without the substance or the power or the heart transformation. And so here he is, he's, he's gonna, uh, it's time now for the heir, right? Well, here's the dynasty, here comes the firstborn, he's the heir to the throne, so name him after Ahijah, the prophet who promised that there would be a lasting dynasty. Keep talking, if, if, oh, but yeah, let's just kind of uh, do the outward thing. And so, so back in the early days, you'll remember Ahijah, the prophet, uh, met him in a field, right? And he said, God's gonna make you king. Walk with him and he'll give you the, this everlasting dynasty that I'm talking about here. Now, uh, walk with him and he will do this. He will give Israel to you and establish your family as the royal uh, line. And now it's time for this baby to be born and it's Ahijah. Ahijah means, the Ahijah the prophet means brother or friend of God. And Abijah means God is my father. So the boy is born and he's like, let's name him after the prophet who said I will be king and, and do it even uh, up a rung and change it just slightly to say God is my father. And so there's a lot of pretense out there. There's always a lot of talking, you know, and a lot of religious show, but it comes down to the, the, what's going on in your heart and how you live your life. And so here's the plot. The boy, as I said, is somewhere around probably 10 or 12. He becomes sick and Jeroboam is gonna uh, seek help now from the boy's namesake, that prophet. Now, instead of coming clean, he begins to scheme, right? So here's what happens here. He tells his Egyptian princess wife, Remember, she's uh, related to Pharaoh. And, and where do you think the idea for the golden calves came from? Yeah, the wife, the missus, all right? And so uh, the, uh, he says, disguise yourself so no one will recognize you as my wife, my darling. Uh, bring, I threw in the my darling part. Uh, uh, bring some fresh baked breads and cakes with some honey. Uh, 
Yom and, and go see what the old prophet has to say about the recovery of your son. And so they used to go to prophets and try to get a blessing, a miraculous touch or word from the Lord. And he's thinking, you know, I can't do that. Why? Because I have a guilty conscience. Because I already know I didn't keep uh, the word the prophet Ahijah told me. So I can't go and say, hey, my dynasty is in jeopardy. And he'll say to me, oh, you didn't keep the word, right? So if you disguise yourself and don't let him know you're related, that you got a sick kid, maybe, you know, plus, you know, some fresh baked scones and some good banana muffins, you know, uh, we'll, be, we'll be in business. And so immature believers, perpetual backsliders, as I've been talking about, have something in common. Uh, they always know where to find the Lord and his trustworthy servants in time of need. Once again, I want to ask him, what's up? Why, why do you go to Ahijah? Your son is sick, sir. You worship all the time with your, uh, with your internet reverends. Why don't you go to one of your internet reverends or your internet bishops? Why don't you go prostrate yourself before the golden cows? Because, sir, you know in your heart where the real deal is. Romans chapter 1 says that everybody, even atheists, know the truth. That, God, that there's enough evidence through creation to see God's eternal power. And, and that all men are without excuse because God has clearly made it plain to them. And that's a quote from Romans chapter 1. And so uh, he's going to go ahead and instead of repent or ask the guy for uh, his, for his blessing or prayers on behalf of the child or to repent, he's not going to shoot straight with God or the prophet. Instead, it's got, he's got some kind of charade here. Adam Clark, 18th century British Methodist theologian, put it this way about this. He said, uh, it would have been more godly if he had begged the prophet's prayers and cast away his golden idols then the child might have been restored to him as his hand was. But most people would rather be told their fortune than their faults or their duty. Wow. So instead of genuine repentance, and God gave him, you know, when these things come into anybody's life who's not walking with God, it's such a gracious opportunity to repent if he would have thrown himself down and said, here, the child is sick and he's not going to recover and this is all my doing and he had a real moment of repentance, I mean, we'd be reading a different kind of story here. Now, let's take a chunk here, 4 through 14. So, Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh, about 20 miles, by the way. Now, Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he's sick, he's ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. So he filled him in. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, come on in, wife of Jeroboam. 
why this pretense? <laughs> I have been sent to you. I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and made you a leader over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have provoked me to anger and thrust me behind your back. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in, in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried because he is he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Yes, even now. Little dramatic rhetoric there right at the end. Okay, so we've got this, the king's scheme, and then number two, the prophet's response. And it's not pretty. It, it's one of the, the, the more, what's the right word? Sobering denouncements in the Old Testament that you can find. Abraham Lincoln said, uh, you could feel, fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. You know what's a lot easier? The theological version. You can never fool God, period. <laughs> all right, so here's a paradox for you. Let's talk about this little charade first, all right? Uh, here's the paradox. Jeroboam believes in God enough to know this is the real deal, the prophet there, and I want to get some help here because he's connected to the true and living God. He has that kind of faith. But the prophet who could see into the future, he thinks is not going to be able to see past his wife's disguise. He, he, told, he told him he was going to be king in an impossible situation. He predicted the future, and now he's going back and saying, maybe, you know, he's not smart enough to see that this isn't really, uh, this is really my wife. Wow. Uh, that's really, sin leads to spiritual insanity, period. It just makes you crazy. I mean, that, that's just crazy. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jeroboam, all right? Hebrews 4, uh, verse 13. Now, Jeroboam's wife has to learn the hard way about Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Uh, so, uh, God is way ahead of the game. I love what Job uh, says, Chapter 5, verse 13 of Job. He catches the wise in their craftiness and the, schemes of the and the schemes of the deceitful are swept away. 
Um, also, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 19, Paul quotes that about those who think they're smarter than God. He catches the wise in their craftiness. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 26 says, to the pure you show yourself pure, but to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. Uh, translation, never play games with God because you will lose every single time. Now, uh, Jeroboam, unfortunately, is not the only loser. And that is often the case. Listen, some people just think, it's just me, I'm just doing my thing. You know, it's just my little sin. You're, you're connected to people. And your sin will affect and damage other people. Now, first, God gives uh, his man a heads up. I really like this, and I'll paraphrase a little bit and have some fun with verse five. Um, uh, so he says to his prophet, he says, now, hey, listen, Ahijah, the king's wife is on her way with some scones and muffins. Now, her boy's sick, and she wants some answers. And by the way, she's going to try to fool you into thinking she's someone else. So here's what I want you to tell her. And he gives him that information. So here she comes in verse 6. Love this. The old man has lost his eyesight, but guess what? He can still hear all right? And by the way, he can see a lot more than people with actual eyesight can see. Um, uh, and so he hears the footsteps, right? And then he speaks first. Mrs. Jeroboam, oh, how nice of you to drop in to see me. Come right in, lay the costume down right over there, and pull up a chair. I've got some really bad news for you. Now, I suspect the queen's blood pressure... Readings are now off the chart as she scoots up a chair. Uh, Philip Riken, president of Wheaton College, has a commentary on 1 Kings, and here's what he said about this. Uh, our disabilities, our physical limitations, do not limit the Holy Spirit's ability to use us to do God's work. Here's a guy, he's in his older years, he's not seeing anymore, Right? But the Lord can make him see. I can't speak very well. I stutter. I stammer, says Moses. The Lord says to him, Moses, who made your mouth? I, who made your mouth? I know all about your stammering. But, but I'll be with you, he says. And then Jeremiah says, I'm too young. And, and the Lord says, stop saying that. He says that to him. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5-ish, he says, stop, stop saying that. I'm going to be with you. What does it matter how old you are or how experienced you are? I'm asking you to do something. The excuses vary, but the answer is always the same. I'm with you. I'm with you. Concentrate on that. So uh, now, here's what he sees. He, he sees more than people who claim to have 20-20 vision. Uh, he gets two parts, right? Okay, first part is the indictment. Here's what you've done. He documents his sin to the wife to tell the husband. And secondly, here's the judgment that's coming and said. Here's what you can expect. And, and by the way, to anyone else who wants to live uh, in the evil life and deceive people and turn to God at the last second to get what you want, even though you don't trust him, uh, that's really what happens uh, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 9. So here's the indictment. Um, 
Mrs. Jeroboam, please tell your husband, verses seven through eight, number one, you've sinned against grace. The Lord likes to point out, you know, that's, what, where, that's where the sting is, is that he says, I've been good to you. I, I, I told you I'm gonna make you king. I established you. How do you think you got to the throne? And then I promised you that I would treat you like David if you just kept my commands. I made you king, I blessed you, I gave you what you wanted. I tore it away from David's boys. But you didn't act like David who loved me a lot. And that was the whole idea. The whole idea of tearing it away out of David's line was for him, hey, if they're not gonna act like David and love me, maybe you will. And if you do, I'll treat you the way I treated David. Do you see? But he wouldn't do that. So number one, you've sinned against grace. Number two, you've sinned against others. You've been, he says to him, you've been the worst thing that ever happened to Israel. How would you like that trophy? (laughs) First place for wickedness. Yikes. Uh, Up till now. Oh, there'll be somebody who's worse, Ahab, right? But up until then, he says, you have the reigning trophy. Um, you've done the most damage to my people ever. And then thirdly, you've sinned against me. He says, you've been picking a fight with me, provoking. You've been provoking God. Every time you go before those golden calves, and you know what you've done? You've just tossed me behind your back like a piece of garbage. You unwrapped something and just went like that. That's how you've treated me. Wow. So judgment. Here's your indictment, and now the judgment. Uh, Verses 10 through the following uh, following verses. Number one, the dynasty I promised you uh, stops here. No male survivors for you starting today. Um, Number two, a complete sweep of all your sons who are just as wicked, by the way. They're not just gonna be judged by God because of Jeroboam. They're as equally as wicked, just so you know. Number three, a king is coming that will assassinate the next heir. The next heir is Nadab, because this boy dies. So he does have a next heir who does get to the throne for two years, and then he's assassinated. But the prophet, who's blind, sees it all because the Lord is with him. And so uh, nobody's even going to get a proper burial. It's very sad, except one. And so he says, except this boy, Abijah, who's now sick. Uh, This young man has done something good, and he's found favor. He has to have faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So he says, there's something good in this boy. He's pleased with the boy. Hey, what, what happened with this boy? Well, was the boy at the service where the hand went out, seize him, and and then the boy's watching, he's 10 years old, the boy sees the hand go, oh, pray to the Lord your God, and he prays, and then, you know, he's like, "Uh, I think I'm gonna go with that God, (laughs) right? There's something in that 10-year-old boy, and you know what? Uh, At first, you're feeling sorry, like this kid has to die. Oh, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking, hallelujah. The Lord says, hey, this is something good. I'll take him, and he will have a proper burial, and there's something a lot worse than death, which will come to a lot of 
uh, Jeroboam's family, probably Jeroboam himself. But this boy here, Abijah, he's going to live forever. And I'm going to take you out. It's a rescue. I really like that. Isaiah 57.1, almost every commentator I read on this pointed Isaiah 57.1. And here's what it says. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in their heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. Now, in the context of Isaiah's passage, it was talking about the righteous who were being persecuted by the wicked uh, rulers there in Judah. But here, it, it, the idea is, is, is that, like I said, death is not the worst thing. That God has, uh, that this boy found favor and that he saved him. I heard one preacher say once, and I, I really, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a good thought. I, I agreed with it. Anyway, he was talking about all the famine in a lot of countries where Christ is not named where a lot of young people die. And he said, you know, if they were to mature in those nations, they most likely would be lost forever and to, and to go through a lot of terrible things. And for them to die in such a way was a mercy of God. Now, you know, I don't want to be too thought-provoking there, but uh, that's just one way of looking at how God is merciful and takes people out of situations like that. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Verses 15 through 20. And the Lord will strike Israel. So he's not done yet. <laughs> so more consequences. So that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land that he gave to their forefathers and scatter them beyond the river because that's the Euphrates going to Assyria, the first captivity, because they provoked the Lord to anger by making Asherah poles, and he will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. I just want to read that one again. And he'll give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tirzah, their other palace. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, as the Lord had said through his servant, the prophet Ahijah. The other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. Uh, he reigned for 22 years and then rested with his fathers. Uh, and Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. Now he makes it two years, 24 months, and bam, a king named Baasha comes in, assassinates him, and goes crazy with Jeroboam's male relatives. They're all gone. In just a couple chapters, we'll be reading about that. Now, let's look at what we just read here. 
Uh, so a real stumbling stone here. Now, uh, this king, he's guilty, but he also introduced Israel to a kind of sinning that they could not pull out of. And perhaps this is why he's named as the very worst king ever to have lived or, or the worst thing to ever happen to Israel. Why? He introduces them to, to something that they can't pull out of. They never recover. The northern tribes never recover. They're, they're 200 years Bam, in comes Assyria, and because of Jeroboam's sin and the kinds of sins that they're committing, uh, it leads them uh, to be taken captive, and uh, North uh, Israel is really destroyed. So amazing that Ahijah can see a couple hundred years down the pike. Now, the Assyrians come in at 722. It's about 900 BC. They come in at 722. BC, um, the covenant, Deuteronomy 28, 49 through 52, uh, Deuteronomy. Disobedience is gonna bring military um, defeat and dispersion of the nation. He just, he just says that. Now, why do, they, they lo- why do they lose the promised land? He gives you one sentence, take it to heart. Because of the Ashtoreth Astra Poles was a place to go for male-female prostitution with worship. So they worshiped sexual immorality. He says, do you want to know why Israel to the north, 10 tribes, were taken away? (laughs) There was no Israel left. Mm. Sexual immorality. Just right there in your text. That's what took a nation down. Uh, the Asheropoles were carved trees in images, terrible images, and uh, you, you'd always know that was the place you could go to worship your sex god. Not much has changed. I mean, we call it a different thing. We call it a laptop, or I don't know, you call it what, how, wherever you, you find Ashtara. Ashtara lives She's worshipped. <laughs> She's worshipped by men and women of this congregation, no doubt, in a size of crowd this big. I mean, there's repentance and times when you don't, but there, I mean, it happens. It's very prevalent. It's very sad. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said in 1781, Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. The United States is not mentioned in the end times. Why is that? Why is the power during the tribulation coming from Europe? There's no United States anywhere to be found. There's China, there's the Middle East, there's Ethiopia, there's Russia, all of Europe. There's no mention of the United States. So Mrs. Jeroboam, I'll just leave that for your thoughts. (laughs) Mrs. Jeroboam uh, treks a long, long 20 miles. Wow. With a laundry list of horrors for her wicked husband. Now, I want to say this about Mrs. Jeroboam. Excuse me. You're a mom. You got a sick kid. And you got an even sicker husband. All right? Everything he's saying is going to come to pass, and you know it. And you just get up, you don't say a word, you don't shed a tear. 
Most moms I know, having heard that come out of a man of God's mouth, and she just knows, they'd have to pry her fingernails out of Ahijah's ankles, right? And then grab her because she has prostrated herself before with tears and entreaties and begging and repentance. It's her boy. Could her silence mean she's as wicked as her soulmate? Not even a try, not even to ask, hey, is there something we could do to change this destiny? Oh, I beg you, I beg you, man of God, I beg you. Oh, please, nothing. She just gets up, okay. She leaves the scones there. I'll save these for later, all right? And I'll just go home with the news. I don't know, I don't see anything there. I don't like not seeing anything there. So she goes home, but she doesn't return to God. She goes home and notices as soon as she steps over the threshold, bam. God speaks and he delivers. He keeps all his positive promises and he keeps all the negative ones too. When he says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. A man will always reap what he sows. If he sows to the flesh, from that sinful nature, he will reap destruction. Now, the reason it says God will not be mocked is because that's a promise and no one will be able to, ever able to say, hey, I sowed to the sinful nature and I didn't reap destruction. That's what God will not be mocked phrase means before the promise that this is the promise. If you do this kind of thing as a lifestyle, and you're, you're, you're sowing to the sinful nature, you're going to reap something very, very nasty and God will not be mocked. So he keeps that promise, just like he keeps the promise and the phrase that comes after that, that says, but if you sow to the spirit, you will reap, you will bring, reap life and peace and blessing. That's beautiful. So no tears, no repentance, no change of heart uh, to the husband. Did you notice that? Nothing. She, she tells him everything. And he's dying, and he died. And you see nothing, just nothing. It's just so, so sad. You know, check for a spiritual pulse on the guy. You're going to get nothing. You know, the heart's beating, but there's no birth. There's no new birth. There's no life. And he's going to die twice. He's going to die once because he was dead and not reconnected to God, not regenerated. And then at the end of the thousand years, all the wicked are resurrected. And then they die twice. And that's called the lake of fire. And he's waiting. He's alive right now. He's conscious. So at, uh, like I said, at first little Abijah seemed like the unfortunate one, but he's really the fortunate one because he's with the Lord in paradise in the presence of God right now. All right, here's the reflection uh, <laughs> for this delightful chapter. <laughs> My wife was ironing for me tonight, uh, and she said, what shirt do you want to wear? And I said, something for a funeral. <laughs> so it was black, uh, which happens to be my favorite color anyway. But anyway, I knew it was going to be heavy. You know, it's just sad. It's sad. How can you not be sad? But you know what? To tell you the truth, and let's be honest here, the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond all things. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. 
And within my heart is the capacity to be as wicked as that king. That's why we read these kinds of things and study them. Because there but the grace of God go I. So here's my reflection on this kind of sobering passage. Number one, it makes me really thankful for Jesus, my Savior, that, that I have a sin offering in God the Son who hung on that cross for me, that, I, that I'm saved, that my sins are covered, and that he changed my heart, and I don't want to be that wicked person. I have a new nature. Yeah, I understand. I still have a sinful nature, and I deal with that every day just like you do. But I also know that I feel another presence in my heart and that I'm not the man I used to be. And so I'm so thankful. I could have ended up like that, and so could have you. So I, I, these kinds of things just encourage me, like, wow, God, I appreciate the opportunity to repent and to find grace and mercy that when I confess my sins, he's faithful and just and I want to keep short accounts with him. Motivates me to live honestly before God, not to play games and not to when I feel shame or uh, fear or guilt to put on some costume and try to manipulate from God and play the game in church and try to hear what I want to hear. I don't want to do that. After reading that, I just want to be honest with God. I just want to be honest and walk with him, not to play games. And I'm not, I, I also am motivated uh, in my reflection not to just use God to get whatever I want or to get me out of a jam, but to walk with him and love him every day, walk with him, to obey God for uh, the sake of my wife and children. I love dying to every impulse that would bring to my wife and my children or to you shame or pain. I do that out of a love for you and for my wife and my kids because I can imagine their faces and your faces. That's a joy to pick up that cross when I'm motivated first for my savior and then for the people around me. Because I look at this guy and say, this guy, all he cared about was himself. He didn't care about his heir, his boy. He didn't care about his wife. Or he would have straightened up, you see. So I'm thankful tonight just to look, to reflect, and be so grateful for the new covenant for the judgment that took place on the cross that's not on me. When God deals with me, he's not judging me. He already judged my sin. He disciplines me as a father in love. But uh, we are definitely made right with him and walking with him, not in, uh, afraid of judgment, but in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your wonderful love and the grace of God that, that sets us apart, that changes our nature and our destiny. Lord, we, we, we look and we see the mistakes of others and we learn from them and we're, we get confirmed in our hearts 
we're on the right path and walking with you. We're so thankful in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand together and sing the closing song. It's not that complicated to walk with God. He just said, just love me, I love you, walk with me, love me with everything you got, and love others with the same kind of love and focus that you have for yourself. He says, everything will fall into place if you just walk with me in that kind of love relationship. Let's do that, all right? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the great incentive of all that you laid down your life and that cross. We look to that that cost you everything so that we could live together with you. We thank you, God, for the power over sin, the power of the new birth, the grace of God, just greater than all of our sin and for second chances times infinity we thank you for your wonderful grace change our hearts Lord help us to love the things you love and to hate the things you hate thank you for your long suffering with all of us as we walk this uh, narrow path we thank you commit ourselves to your care in Jesus name amen amen Well, God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Prayer at the cross. God bless. Good night.